0: Let's begin, shall we, with the Lord's Prayer, as is our custom. Everyone praying together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, But deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And I may be wrong, but I think I heard a couple of little voices praying along with us. If I did, you made my day. Maybe it was an angel, but it worked either way. Thank you, um, Christian Life family of all ages. Last two weeks... We talked about as the dynamic of the normal Christian life. We said that there were about a half dozen things that we are told to hold to. Uh, The language that was used in NIV and some other translations is make every effort to do these things. These are things that we hold to, and today I want to take a few minutes to talk to you about things that we don't hold to, but we let go of. These things are easy to drift into. In fact, our text, Hebrews 2.1 says, We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Pay the most careful attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. I grew up on Pensacola Beach. I love the ocean. I love the water. There were two parts of Pensacola Beach, still that way today. Um, And there was the, the calm side, which was really the intercoastal waterway called the sound side the sound side, or locals would just call it the sound. And you could go there and there was a dock that went out. There was a lifeguard at the end of the dock, very little movement, very little uh, current or anything. It was a great place to learn to swim and learn how to get used to life on the beach. It was a great place. But when I started getting a little bit older and I said, the sound was for sissies, I talked my mama into bringing me over to the main beach, the Gulf of Mexico. And uh, I took my grandchildren there a couple of years ago um, to show them, just, I gave them the grand tour of the, of the homeland, you know, and uh, one of the things I did is I took them to the beach and the water was so rough, the water was so rough that um, they wouldn't even let people in the water. And I thought, well, this is odd, because when I was growing up, we had lifeguards. We had hundreds of lifeguards. They were called Mama. All of them had the same name, <laughs> Mama. And this is the way my mom controlled our life on the beach. We would stand there, she'd walk out about waist deep with me and she'd say, you see the pier on your left? You see the, the uh, chili dog stand and the raft rental shack on the right. And I said, yes, ma'am. She said, count out six poles. You can go no deeper than that. You cannot go that way past the pier. You cannot go that way past the chili dog shack or the beach rental shack. If you do, you're in trouble. And I thought, this is is huge, as big as a football field. Not really, but I thought this is plenty of room. She said, now, if you ever look up and the pier is on your right instead of your left, you're in trouble. She said, if you ever look up, the hot dog stand is on your um, left instead of your right, you're in trouble. You ever look up, you're past this pier uh, uh, pillar, you're in trouble. And I said, no problem. And I cannot tell you how many whacks on the butt I got that first year at the beach and how many times I had to sit in timeout. And I was like Paul in Romans 7, oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Because I never, I never, even in my wildest dreams, intended to get out of bounds. And my mom sat me down well into the first summer there and she says, let me talk to you about a word. The word is current, current. She talked to me about riptides. She talked to me about the natural drift that occurs whenever you're in that situation of being on the beach. Um, and I learned for the first time in my life, I, I, knew, th- I knew there were tides uh, because of the way the, the beach property would come and go, you know, uh, disappear underwater. I knew there were tides, but all to me that was was water would come in and water would go out. And my mom explained to me how currents work and how tides work and how you can do everything in your power to to stay in the safety zone and end up over here. And she said, that's why you're in timeout so much. She said, what you need to do is every few minutes when you're playing, uh, look up, see where you are and adjust yourself. And that's good advice for us as a Christian The writer of Hebrews says every now and then look up, see where you are and adjust yourself because there's a danger of you drifting away. The central truth that I want to communicate to you today is this. I'm never static as a Christian. I know that we, especially we we Protestants, we have a tendency to think of, of becoming a Christian at a point in time in the past. And we do believe that. We do believe that there is a point in time that you cross from death to life. You cross uh, from death into um, the kingdom of God. And I think most of us, not all of us, because some of us, we were so young when it happened, we don't remember all the details. But there's a time we can point back to and say, on that night, I was saved. At that meeting, I was saved. I think that's good. And there's nothing wrong with that. But we need to understand serving the Lord is more than just an event. It is an event and a life and you're not static. The epistle to Hebrews shows us five common ways that we drift. And we need to constantly be checking on these things and let go of them. Now, let me take about a minute and a half to give you some key terminology so that we're all speaking the same thing. Because I know that we've got a lot of different church backgrounds represented in our church family. Um, Number one, I want to give you four definitions. The first is the definition of a maturing Christian. Now, you're not perfect. You're not perfect. Anybody that says they are without fault, you immediately know at least one fault that they have. Okay? I mean, but we are growing, we're growing up. A maturing Christian means I trust Christ as my Savior and am increasing. In conformity to the image of Christ, we call it uh, know, grow, and sow. We know Jesus is our Savior. We're growing in character like Him, and we're sowing into the life of others through the kingdom of God. I have a relationship of intimacy with the Father, I'm growing into all things concerning Christ. The Holy Spirit is using me to invest in the lives of others. Now, again, some of these things we're learning and we're and we're doing better on some days than others, but we're growing. We're going in the right direction. By doing these things, two things are being fulfilled. I'm loving the Lord with all of my strength and I'm cherishing my neighbor as myself. Those are the two great commandments. The second, that's a maturing Christian. The second definition I want to give is what we would call a weak Christian. Um, Now, this is a believer. A weak Christian is a believer, but a believer who is not growing in the faith. Now, I want to say this. Growing in the faith, you'll have seasons of growth where you just exponentially are becoming more like Jesus. And then some of your seasons of growth, you'll feel like you take two steps forward and one step back. I hate to tell you this, but sometimes you feel like you take one step forward and two steps back. But the point is, we're in process. Uh, A believer who is not in that process uh, uh, has his or her life marked by defeat, but it's not necessarily the result of rebellion. Listen to me, loved ones, let's be careful. That's why we're to not judge one another. And that's why we're to give each other the benefit of the doubt, because a lot of times a backward drift isn't because of rebellion, it's because of weakness. And it's essentially because of immaturity. Now, when your baby started walking, you know, nine months, a year old, they started walking. You're, you did not sit down at the table and say, Oh, I've got such an idiot for a son. Watch him, watch him. He'll walk right into the wall. <laughs> Watch my little girl. She can't even take three steps without collapsing. You don't do that. I've got a video I was looking at the other day when Jackson started walking at our house. Man, we cheered. You would have thought the Green Bay Packers had come to visit. We were up off the walls, cheering, clapping, and yelling. Why? Because he took about six steps and then just fell into the arms of grandma. We were celebrating his progress. We were celebrating his progress and that's what we need to do with Christians. But sometimes a Christian is weak because they're just not following through or they just haven't developed. Now there's a third group. This was big when I was growing up. The, the term that we use is backslider. Backslider. Now, I love the the Hebrew term much more. Uh, The prophet said, Israel has become a backsliding heifer. Boy, now that has class. That has a ring to it. You don't just call somebody a backslider. You say, it preaches better. You backsliding heifer. I love it, you know. (laughs) But by our definition, a believer who is out of fellowship with God, can be classified as a backslider. They're walking in rebellion or disobedience. Now, there's a difference between a weak Christian and a backsliding heifer, okay? Um, the, The backsliding heifer, they've walked away from the commandments of God, though they still love God. They still consider themselves a believer, but they're walking in disobedience or rebellion. And then the last thing, I think there are few examples of this in scripture. This is not something that we want to categorize someone as very often because this is potentially terminal. And I, and I don't think there are a true lot of apostates around, but they do exist. An apostate is one who is defected from the faith. Some Christians teach that an apostate was never saved to begin with. Others teach that an apostate was saved but may no longer be able to come back to God. It's a frightening thought. Some teach that backsliders and apostates are synonymous terms, but regardless of the view you take, Calvinistic or Arminian or whatever your view is, whatever your view, you want to stay away from this thing called apostasy. So we understand that we ought to be growing Christians, but sometimes we can become weak Christians or even backsliding Christians, but at all costs, we want God to preserve us from the idea of apostasy, which is a turning away from the faith. Now, what are the attitudes and tendencies we should let go of? we're gonna go through these. I'm just going to give them the barest of introductions and you can do your own study. Like I said, because the first guy went over. Um, there are five things that we drift into that Hebrews tells us about. And I want to just give you a heads up today. These are things that we need to let go of. Don't make room for them. Get them out of our lives. You say, what do you mean let go of? Well, I know this is old stuff for those of you that are old timers here, but I read an article uh, a few years ago. I, I, there's probably a more precise and scientific way to do it now. But in the earliest days when uh, hunters and uh, uh, wild game trackers that would bring animals back to the zoos in Western civilization. The way they would capture an orangutan was interesting. An orangutan is an immensely powerful animal. It is very powerful. It, it looks funny, but it is immensely powerful. And an orangutan was something you did not want to tangle with. And the way they would do it is Uh, Generally speaking, this was in Sumatra where where this occurred, they would put a collection, a little uh, cup full of the orangutan's favorite food into a hole in a tree that was big enough for it to put its hand in. You know, you put your hand in like that, but then when you grab the stuff, you've made a fist and you can't get it out. You can go in, but to hold on to the stuff, you can't get it out. And they say that when the orangutan went in and grabbed the stuff, he was so desirous of the treats that even though the hunters exposed themselves, they would casually walk up to the beast with a a net. They were casually going to throw it over him. He could have taken all of those trappers out. Uh, With his mighty strength. He could have easily gotten away, but he's so enamored with the nuts and the fruits in that hole, he cannot get his hand out. And that's what we mean by let go. There are some things that Christians need to learn that even though it might be pleasurable, it might be something enjoyable, if it's forbidden in scripture, we need to let go of it and we're never going to be free unless we let go. Now, Here are the things we need to let go of. Number one, we have a tendency toward neglect. We have a tendency toward neglect. It was Mark Twain, uh, I believe, who said, I'm not worried about the things in scripture that I do not understand. He said, I'm worried about the things in scripture that I do understand. We need to understand that ignorance is one thing, but neglect is another the writer says, For since this message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? the salvation, which was first announced by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. What he's basically saying is if you're going to avoid the trap of drifting away, if you're going to avoid moving away from the center of God's will, you've got to not neglect the things that are spoken to you in God's word. When I was raising my family, we had four kids and you know what it's like to go to a place like Disney world or the zoo with four kids. Uh, 75 other kids are calling you daddy. Uh, you know, you hear daddy and a daddy, your ears go out like this when you hear it. So even if it's not your kid. So we just had a rule, Jeremy, Rebecca, they're, they're here. They can tell you this. It, you had to tell mommy and daddy what you were doing, but not only did you have to tell them what you were doing, what you have to do? Eyes. It didn't matter that you said, it didn't matter how loud it was. It was this, because if I'm looking at you, that means I heard what you said. It registered with me. It wasn't lost in the den. My mom used to make no sense when she'd whip me. She'd say, you hear me? And I would tell her, yes, ma'am, I heard you. And she'd keep, she said, do you hear me? Yes, ma'am. Do you hear me? Yes, ma'am. You know How many times do I say, I heard you? She wasn't saying, did you hear me? She was saying, are you paying attention to what I'm saying? So I, I tried something different one time. I said, yes, ma'am, I hear and I obey. And she thought I was being smart-alecky and whip me longer. Neglect essentially hinders or blocks the full flow of what God wants to do in your life. Loved ones, the American church by and large, now not Christian life. You are an exception to the rule. You're the finest church in America. And I mean that sincerely. I really do. I believe that. I, I know it's true. But the average Christian in America is educated far beyond their level of obedience that's why I can't help but laugh when someone says, Oh, I'm leaving church because it's I'm not being fed. You, you are fed to the point of obesity. I don't mean you, but I mean the church in general is fed to the point of obesity. And if we would begin to act on half of what we know, our lives would be changed. Here's number two, the tendency toward insensitivity. Now, number one's neglect. But when you neglect something, the frightening thing is that you begin to grow insensitive toward it. Hebrews 3, 12 to 13. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Sinful, unbelieving heart. But encourage one another daily so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. See, sin, if it's allowed in our lives, neglect, the next step from neglect is we become insensitive to what we were once sensitive about. And I want to just say this, there's so much we could say, but I want to tell you this, this is why I think it's important to come to church when you can. I know God can work wherever we are. I think the greatest moment of conviction I ever had in my life, other than the night I gave my heart to Jesus, was driving down a highway. Uh, and, and And the convicting power of the Holy Spirit was more real on that highway in South Alabama than it had been in any church in my life up to that point. So God can convict us anywhere. But the value of coming to church is this. We come into his presence and the most valuable gift we have is the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why I tell our young people, that's why I tell our children, that's why I tell you mom and dad and grandma and grandpa, the best thing you can do is pay attention to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Don't shake it off. Don't put it off. Don't say, well, I'm better than someone else. Don't allow insensitivity to take root in your heart. Always act on the the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Always act on the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you something, just a little distinction. You know, the Bible, most versions Uh, when it's talking about the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2, not all, but most versions don't say you have lost your first love. Some do, but that's not correct. The correct rendition is you have left your first love. And there's a big difference between losing something and leaving something. You can go to Disney World and lose your wife, but it's a lot different than going to Disney world and leaving your wife. You see one, you panic and you say, I got to find her. I got to find her. I got to find her. I got to get back to the love of my life. Leaving her says free at last, free at last. You know, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to hide out over at sea world for a couple of days and maybe she can collect insurance. I'll be gone. Loved ones, the problem that most of us have when we drift is not that we lose something. We, we can, but the problem most of us have is that we have left something. We leave it and it's because of the ins- insensitivity that results from neglect. There's a third thing that we need to be careful of. It is the tendency toward an undisciplined life. Now, I know we're not saved by works. Nobody preaches that more regularly and more passionately than I do. We're not saved by works. We don't stay saved by works. But but works and a disciplined life keep us on, re- on the track upon which the Christian life runs. Hebrews 5, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Now you say, well, you know, that's why I left so-and-so's church. All they talk about is milk. Well, let me tell you, milk is good and milk is, is, is inappropriate. See, Peter would put it this way. He said, I want you like newborn babies to desire the sincere milk of the word. He said, "He said so you can grow up into Christ. There's a time in our lives that we ought to be on milk and milk is what is our prescribed diet. Uh, I like what Don Brankle said. He said, I don't mind taking a baby Christian and holding them in my arms and swaddling them and rocking back and forth and giving them the milk of the word. He said, it just frustrates me when I have to part the whiskers to get the nipple in. You see, what... Um, What the writer of Hebrews is saying this, he says, you want milk. He says, you you think you want um, uh, solid food, but you need to still be on milk. Why is it now bad all of a sudden? He says, by this time, you ought to be teachers. By this time, you ought to be teachers. You see, what's the difference between milk and solid food? It's very simply this. Milk is previously digested food. Nothing wrong for a preacher to preach milk but it ne- because it's something that might need to be digested through the life of that preacher. A lot of times a Bible verse is made clear because a Sunday school teacher or, a, or an impact girls teacher or a pastor has lived it out and the food that they have taken in has been digested and it goes forth as milk. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Uh, when a mama takes her baby and puts that baby to her breast and the baby begins to nurse, that, that baby's not getting some mysteriously formed substance from, you know, from Dumbledore's castle or you know, what is it? The, the mama has, has eaten food and it has turned into milk. So mama's nourishment becomes the nourishment for her child. There's nothing wrong with being on milk. There's nothing wrong with going to church to just learn about the basics. I know right now there are brand new Christians in this auditorium in Brown Chapel, uh, probably in Brown Chapel. I know that there are uh, fairly new Christians listening to us online. And you say, I don't understand this. I don't know what this word means. There's nothing wrong with that. Just take a sip of milk, that's good. Nothing wrong with that. The problem is when milk is what we stay on year after year after year after year. Now, he says, beware neglect, beware insensitivity, beware an undisciplined life. Here's number four. He says, avoid the tendency toward withdrawal. Avoid the tendency toward withdrawal. Now, again, I don't even think I need to say this. I know some of you aren't in church because you live so far away you can't get to, the, to our church. I understand that. Some of you are not here today because you're a high risk with the COVID virus, or you're just sick, or you're just, I'm just pastor, I'm just not convinced it's safe to get out yet. I understand that. That's not what we're talking about. Uh, There's always a time for withdrawal uh, for one reason or another. But this is what Hebrews 10 says. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good needs, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. You say, Pastor, I'm just, I don't even want to leave my house. The Bible says the last days it'll get worse and worse. That's right. The Bible emphatically teaches that. In the last days it will get worse and worse. And one of the ways we fight that is to come together more and more. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together because withdrawal takes us out of the realm of mutual encouragement, mutual awareness, mutual service. There's great power in the concept of the one. And here's the last thing, and then we're going to have to wrap it up in about five minutes, the tendency toward apostasy. Now, I'm not going to talk about this long because we, we kind of addressed it earlier, But apostasy is mentioned in chapter 10, and I think these things are progressive. I think we need to understand that neglect is not a good thing because it can lead to insensitivity. And insensitivity, when you feel like things don't matter, can lead you to a lack of discipline. A lack of discipline leads you to withdrawal, and and withdrawal, if it's not stopped, if it's not checked, it leads to apostasy potentially so, potentially so. I think, I sincerely think apostasy is an incredibly rare thing. I think it is an exceptionally rare thing for someone to come to real faith in Jesus and then walk away from that faith. But it can happen because we're warned against it. It can happen, but I think it's exceptionally rare. rare. But whenever you decide, do I want to begin a habit? The first thing you need to ask is where does this end up? And this, this drifting, this drifting, I remember one time my mom got me and pulled me out of the water. I drifted way down there and I was just having too good a time to pay attention. Pensacola Beach, she grabbed me by the arm with, with one hand and my raft with you know, the other hand. She, I couldn't even understand all she was saying. She said, I told you. To. Said, the next thing you know, you're going to end up in Panama City Beach, which was a hundred miles away. Where, where does the drifting take you? Oh, what a great mom I had. She was fantastic. The dangerous thing about apostasy is that apostasy says Christianity may have some truth, but there's other truth as well. Apostasy says there may be other ways as acceptable as Christianity. Now, in the the four or five minutes we have left, what are the Christian life lessons? There are four of them. I'm just gonna introduce you to them. Again, the other guy went too long. Loved ones, let me tell you this. We are in an age when we are told that we have to be tolerant. In fact, in American society, the big word, the buzzword is tolerance. Americans must be tolerant of everything except Christianity. Everything else they've got to be tolerant of. Okay. But I want to tell you this. It doesn't matter what you are right about if you are wrong about Jesus. Uh someone came to my door the other day and I said, No, I have my own church and he and he said, Well, why wouldn't you come to our church? And I said, Um, Well, because of um several things I said, he said, What do you disagree with? I said, Well, there's several things I disagree with, but I said, I disagree with things about every church. I even disagree with a point or two of my own church, uh de- denominationally. I, I said, That wouldn't keep me from coming to your church. And he said, what would keep you from coming to our church? I said, what you teach about Jesus Christ. I said, you teach that Jesus was a man who attained Godhood. Our church teaches that Jesus was God who came as a man. I said, and there's a world of difference. He said, well, we do this. We agree with you on that. And he listed about six or seven things. He said, we're right about this. And I said, you are right about this. But I put my hand on his shoulder. He was before the virus. I put my hand on his shoulder and I said, but my friend, you don't understand. It doesn't matter what you are right about if you are wrong about Jesus. And I'm here to tell you, you are wrong about Jesus. You give him the highest compliment you can without declaring him to be what he said he was. And that's why I could never come to your church. And he shook his head and said, I'll think about that. I'll think about that. Uh, let me give you another prophetic warning. Issues of exclusivity will be the battleground for the church during the next few years. Loved ones, I'm telling you, no matter who is elected or reelected president, the church is gonna go. I mean, go on, the church is gonna grow. We are going to have the greatest harvest. We are going to have the greatest harvest imaginable. The greatest days of the church are are just ahead. It may be in the face of favor. It may be in the face of adversity, but the church is going to grow. I tell you where the church's greatest battle will be in the years ahead. It will be over the issue of what is absolute truth. Internally. The church will fight over the measure of scripture. What is the role of scripture? The meaning of scripture? Is it an all-authoritarian, authoritative rule of living, Uh, the message of scripture. Right now, some of the largest churches in America are picking and choosing what part of the scriptures they want to believe. They're picking and choosing which doctrine was for another age and which doctrine is for our age. And the biggest battle the church is gonna face is not a political party or a political philosophy. The biggest battle the church is going to fight is an internal battle that says, what do we do with this thing called the Bible? And that's internally and externally, the church is going to have a battle over what, how do we define a saved life? How do we define sacred doctrine? How do we define set apart living? Loved ones, I want to tell you the biggest battle that the church will face in the days ahead is over the issue of scripture and holy living and the role of scripture. It's not over alternative lifestyles. That's important. It's not over abortion. I think until we deal with abortion, we are, we are uh, unable to move forward as a nation. Those are huge things. It's not racism as, as, and that is a defining evil that has marked us throughout our history. All of those things are vitally important, but the church is powerless to deal with any of those things until we get a grip on what is the scripture and what does it say. Here's number three that I want you to know: the principles of the kingdom seem contradictory. See, we live in an upside-down kingdom where the first is last, the last is first, and this is our commandment. We are to, to live counterculturally but have a culturally relevant approach. I've often put it this way. The picture must never change. The message must never change, but the frame can look different depending on which room it's in. You, you might have a picture that would work equally well in the living room, the bathroom, or the kitchen. But you would change the frame depending on the decor of the room. The gospel message is that way. We can make it look one way for junior high. We can make it, we can frame it one way for senior high or for children or for senior adults. But we better not mess with that portrait of Jesus in the picture. Frame it like you want to, but the picture must be um, uh, uh, unmolested and unchanged. Frame has some flexibility. we're going to have to understand that we are at war with a society that's at war with the principles of God, but we must practice opposite behavior. We bless those that curse us. We do good to those that mistreat us. You say, well, how do you think the church is doing? I think, um, I think we've got a lot to celebrate. We're seeing a lot of that. The only thing we need to do now is, is cause Christians to stop killing off each other. Like I said, guys, I'm telling you, I, I'm, not, I'm not going to argue the, the specifics with you because that's going against what I'm saying. But we are in a society right now and the church has taken up the flavor of society. If you don't see things the way I do, you are a racist or you are a socialist or you are a Laker or something. There's no, there's no allowance for anybody to have a view that's different from our own. And I want to tell you that is impeding progress on every level. Boy, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. Here's the last thing. Choices matter. Choices matter. Somebody said a few years ago, elections have consequences. They do, but choices have consequences as well. You see, we need to go back to that Bible story and it needs to become central to our teaching again. Jesus was approached by a rich young ruler and he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the Bible says this, Jesus looked at him and loved him. We've got to look at those that we're considering our enemies, that we consider compromisers. We've got to look at them and love them. And we're not, we don't have a right to speak into their life until our tears return, until we love them, okay? He said, keep these two great commandments. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said, I have kept these all of my life. And Jesus, that love kicking in, if Jesus had been like some of us, he would have said, well, you're on my team. You, you believe close enough to what I believe. Come on and be my disciple. Jesus went to the heart of the sin that still had a grip on him. And he said, there's only one thing you need to do. Sell what you've got, give it to the poor and then come follow me. Now you say, Jesus, you know, so Jesus wants us to give away everything we've got? No, he didn't require Zacchaeus to give away everything he had. Didn't require Matthew, who was wealthy, to give away everything that he had because he knew that those riches didn't have a grip on their heart like it did with this rich young ruler. And that's why when you come to Jesus, the Lord may ask you to do something that he didn't ask John Doe to do because he knows what has a grip on you. And when Jesus told him to sell everything, go away, the Bible says he turned and went away sorrowfully because he had great riches. He was ready to serve the Lord on 95% of the issues. But when the heart matter was touched, he walked away sorrowful. Now, if Jesus had been like us, he'd have said, hey, let's renegotiate. Come on back. Okay, give away 30% of your stuff. Well, I don't know, Lord, I've worked hard. Okay, 40, 40. I mean, I mean 20, just give away 20%. You can. Come. No, you, you see, you've got to understand this is the nature of the kingdom. We have nothing with which we can negotiate. The night I gave my heart to the Lord, they were singing that song, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. And that you bid me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. See, when I walked down to that altar and gave my life to Jesus, I did not have a portfolio of assets to say, Lord, if you get me, you've got a real treasure. The only way I could have access into the presence of God's forgiveness is to say, you tell me to come. You shed your blood for me. And that's a lost message in the church of Jesus Christ. We get people to join the church like they're joining Kiwanis. We get people to join the church like they're they're joining a timeshare. But Jesus says, let him that comes after me take up his cross. Everybody that wants to save their life must lay their life down. Loved ones, as we move through the days ahead, we're going to find that Jesus does not have a ragtag collection of pro baseball stars that he traded for and bought for and up their contract for. He's going to have a group of dedicated servants that said, Lord, I'm coming to you on your terms. And that's the only way to serve him. Father, we're out of time. I ask you to bless us I know that there are those who need prayer here and loved ones, I'm gonna ask you to come in in less than 60 seconds when I'm through, come forward and we'll direct you to the prayer area. Those of you that are at home, you can pray right where you are. You don't need us to pray for you, but we'll be glad to. On the screen, you'll see a number that you can call and there are people that are standing by to pray with you right now and to help you. Maybe you wanna give your life to Jesus. Maybe you're carrying a burden, you need help. They're ready. They're ready. We want to help you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. May the Lord's favor be upon you as you walk through life. May you know him as your Lord and savior. In Jesus name we pray. God bless you. Those of you that are here or in Brown Chapel, make your way to the front as the ministry team worships and uh, we'll be glad to pray with you. I love you. God bless you.